McMaster University has over 210,000 alumni living in 140 countries around the world, and they are some of the most amazing people you would ever want to meet. Unconventional will introduce you to some of our alumni who are working to make our world a brighter place in their own unique way. Join me, Karen McQuig, Alumni Director at MAC, as we meet alumni in the arts, cutting edge entrepreneurs, alumni leading the way in health, technology, education, and more, as we learn the moments that their path from MAC became unconventional. Welcome to Unconventional, a podcast that highlights the journeys of our McMaster alumni after graduation. Today, I'm very pleased to welcome Keegan Johnson to our podcast. Keegan graduated from McMaster University with an honors computer science degree and a minor in physics, and where he was the co-captain of the men's basketball team. After graduation, Keegan worked in the world of finance, where he co-founded an e-commerce fraud management company and helped grow that company from an idea founded at a poker game to a 100-person company sold to MasterCard. After learning his son had a rare genetic disorder, Keegan co-founded a charity called the Foundation for Prater Willie Research Canada. Today, he's one of the co-founders of Let's Go Fitness, an online fitness community for people of all abilities. Welcome to our podcast, Keegan. Excellent. Well, I'm, uh, I'm excited to be here. Excellent. So let's go back in the Wayback Machine to when you were an undergraduate student. Did you have a master plan on how your career itself would progress? And if you did, what was it? And if you didn't, how did you handle that? So no, uh, not even close, no chance. And actually, I'm intensely jealous of all the people that had master plans and everything just sort of worked out perfectly. <laughs> so were you nervous when you were thinking about leaving McMaster to head off into the in that unknown? Um, I mean, I, I think I was as nervous as every graduate, you know, not more or less so. So, I mean, when I graduated, I graduated from computer science and, you know, it's like, hey, what's next? The job sort of thing. And I started looking around. I actually had um, a couple of friends who were working at a startup um, or a smaller software company. Um, so I was luckily enough, I was able to start working there as like a junior programmer. Um, so that's was really kind of my transition to the to the work world. It, it, I can't remember exactly when it happened, but it was relatively close to to graduating. Um, started working there, and then I guess the uh, the interesting thing was uh, on my first day. First day on the job, um, I deleted all the source code of the company. Oops. <laughs> my, entrance the, <laughs> my entrance to the work world. So, I mean, it's, it's a, a long story, but um, I've done a lot of work at university sort of on the uh, Unix type platform. Um, was not obviously very familiar with Windows, something that everyone will be, you know, laughing at me right now. But I was, you know, moving files from a source file to somewhere else. I ended up deleting them. I had no real idea what I was doing. But it ended up being a, a great way for the company to check if their uh, backup procedures worked uh, correctly, which they did. Yeah. Did not get fired, which was the uh, amazing first day. Well, that's great. <laughs> that's a good end to the story. But I think everybody has those moments where you first start a job and you do something and you're like, oh my gosh, oh my gosh, what did I do? Yeah, and I think that's. I mean. It's a while ago now, but I think as I look back, that maybe one of sort of the prevailing themes. You sort of 
graduate university and you sort of picture yourself as, hey, I'm going to do this really well and then this really well and then this really well and just sort of that constant career path. And I think reality in life is just a lot different. And I think there's a lot of ups and downs, a lot of setbacks, you know, deleting source code on your first day. Um, and, and that's okay. That's, that's life. And you're prepared to move forward through those things. And that's, I think maybe one of the things that I didn't really understand at university, I thought I was going to do this perfectly and then that perfectly and this, and it's like, no, it doesn't, it doesn't work that way. No, it's the next. So you were a varsity athlete when you were at McMaster. So you juggled, you know, school, sports, you know, just general life. What was, what did you take away from your experience on the basketball team that has served you well throughout your career? So a lot of things. I, I don't know if I could pull out just one. Um, definitely working in a team environment. You know, I was playing on a basketball, a team sport um, and all of those things like, hey, you're having, you have a bad day, your teammates pick you up. Uh, you see another teammates having a bad day. How do you pick them up? Um, you're in a tense situation and maybe you make a mistake, what happens? Or a teammate makes a mistake. How do you get them through that? Because you still got to go ahead and, and win the game. So all those things are just invaluable in terms of, you know, a job and career and everything like that. Um, at the same time, I think one of the experiences that stick with me is towards the end of my career, I ended up tearing my ACL. And so, you know, that sucked. I had surgery and I came back from the surgery and then there was another problem with the cartilage and I had to go ahead and have another surgery. And out on the playing court, it became pretty clear that I wasn't able to play at the level that um, I used to play at. And so I was sort of pushing through that and I couldn't play at this point. It was my sort of my senior year. And I went to my coach, Coach Raza, who uh, a number of the people in the community will know. And I told him, I said, hey, look, I've, I've tried. I just, I can't play. I think I need to step away from the team because um, I'm just, I'm just not going to be able to play. And he looked at me and he said, hey, I understand where you are and what's going on and everything that you've done to try and get back in shape and physio. And if, if you can't play, then, then you can't play. But I would hate to see you leave the team. And whatever capacity that is, you know, you've been part of this team growing, you know, we'd love to see you stay. So because of that conversation, I ended up staying with the team. It was kind of like a player assistant coach type rule. And that sort of changed my perspective on, um, you know, working through adversity and resilience and, you know, sometimes just getting to the next day is a win. It doesn't have to be, you know, that you scored 20 points or whatever. And then I can connect the dots to that to a little bit later in life. Um, we may ch chat about this, but when my son was diagnosed and he had this rare genetic disorder, I kind of already knew how to get through adversity um, because of you know what I went through with the injury and because of the way that it was handled with my relationship with the coach. So let's touch on that. Your son, as you said, was born with a rare genetic disease that most people, I had never heard of this disease ever before. So can you share us with like sort of the highs and lows of that journey and share us exactly what is the disorder? So our introduction to Prada really, uh, similarly to you, we had no idea what it was. And we actually got diagnosed at McMaster, McMaster Hospital. And it was three weeks um, after he was born. 
And it was actually on my 30th birthday to the day. And as you know, McMaster is a teaching hospital. So when we got the diagnosis, there was myself and my wife who were sitting in this great big boardroom. And around the boardroom was a whole bunch of people learning how you tell a family that their firstborn son has a rare genetic disorder. So there was the geneticist, uh, there was the senior pediatrician, there was a number of resident pediatricians, there was a head nurse, a bunch of resident nurses, all sitting around this room. And I remember uh, the doctor said, oh, your son has Prader-Willi syndrome. And I, my wife sort of started to cry and I said, well, what does that mean? Mm -hmm. And he said, well, his growth is gonna be delayed, his speech is gonna be delayed. Um, and he's always going to be hungry. And it was through the middle of that, I'm just trying to make sense of it. And I remember saying, well, what, what about his cognitive abilities? And he said, well, those are going to be delayed as well. So that, that was our introduction to, to Prader-Willi syndrome. And I remember that night we were actually staying at the hospital. And my wife and I, we were crying and we we're trying to make sense of this. And as we were talking, my wife said, well, like what, what's going to happen? And I said, you know what, things are going to work out. And she said, well, how do you know what's going to happen? And it was really at that point, my response, and I don't know why I said this, but it, it came from, I said, I have no idea what is going to happen, but I do know that right now we have a choice to make. And we can choose to believe that we can make a difference in our son's life. Um, and that was really, I traced back a lot of the success that we had in building the community and in fundraising to that, making a choice to believe that we can make a difference. Um, so that was, that was a huge point, uh, turning point. Uh, the next one came probably um, even just a few months later, we knew we wanted to do something and I came back home from work and my wife said, well, I booked a park. We're running a walkathon. <laughs> I was like, okay. okay. <laughs> right, there, there we go. So we, we had the park, got a date and we had just got married um, about a year and a half before that, maybe two years. And so we had the park and we literally just went to our wedding list and we basically sent out uh, an email to our wedding list and said, hey, here's the park. Here's Prader-Willi syndrome. We'd love for you to come out. And we set a goal to raise about $5,000 for our first walkathon. Um, and it was interesting because at this time, we had a lot of people tell us as we started to reach out to different people in the community that, you know what, you can't raise money. It's very hard to raise money. Um, there's no research for Prader-Willi syndrome. You can't fund research. So this is all of the stuff what we're hearing. But again, we just kind of said, you know what, let's just choose to believe that we can do something. So we booked the park and we ended up calling the walkathon one small step. And we did that for two reasons. One, people with Prader-Willi syndrome, you know, historically have very small feet. Okay. Uh, and the first logo was literally an imprint of Dante's foot at 10 months old. And we we're like, that's the logo, let's go with it. Um, but it was also, I guess, a statement to us to say, this is something small that we can do. We can take one small step. Maybe we can't raise money, maybe we can't, you know, fund research or find research, but let's just do something. And so we ran that first walk and it was pre-internet fundraising. Uh, so this was not, you know, GoFundMe page and everything like that. 
people were showing up with cash and change on the day. And at the end of the day, we went back home and counted money and we raised $50,000. Oh, that's amazing. Cash and change. Um, So that was just an unbelievable day. And that's really when we realized that we could take one small step going forward. And so after that, we basically sort of franchised that walk. And we said, hey, let's, we built our own fundraising system to take care of all the, all the details in the background. And then we just went to family after family and said, hey, look, all you have to do is pick a date and book a park. And then we'll take care of all the rest. You can send out the emails. And that one small step walk has grown to run events in, you know, seven different countries around the world. And there's probably over $5 million have been raised uh, for Pride Syndrome research uh, from that point. So that's, that's sort of the, the arc of the story. That's the highs. In terms of the, the low point points, um, there are plenty. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and uh, dealing with uh, a child who's got a rare genetic disorder, there is a lot of sort of day-to-day challenges. Um, and I won't necessarily get, get into, into all of those, but you know, even simple things like going to school, um, can be, can be difficult. Um, obviously there's feeding challenges, you know, and it, it really seems to go on and on. And at some points I say, it's, it's almost like, you know, death by a thousand cuts, um, yeah. because every day there can be something. I think at one point we had like 15 different specialists that we were seeing. Um, so even just booking all those appointments and taking to them and back and forth is, is crazy. But the one thing that has been just overwhelming has been really our, the support of our friends and our family our network, we are so blessed to have people from grandparents to cousins to, you know, people at our wedding list to friends who just, from the first time they showed up, you know, just coming to the walkathon, coming to our events, donating year after year, we've just been blown away. And that's probably one of the biggest um, takeaways is just, there's so many amazing people out there. So many amazing people. So I'm going to go back just a little bit, then I'm going to connect it in a second. But you, when you left Mac and you, after your first job, you, you ended up co-founding a company, correct? Um, who dealt with e-commerce fraud management that back in the day, probably, you know, 20 years ago, what's e-fraud commerce management, but, um, and what made you want to start your own company and, um, you know, take that risk because starting something new like that, just like starting a foundation new and doing other things is a big risk. So what is it about your personality where you see a challenge and you're like, yep, I got this, I can do it. So yeah, great question. Um, I think I've always liked difficult problems. Um, so I know there was times where I, you know, get the difficult problems right and then maybe make mistakes on the simple problems because <laughs> I didn't, you know, follow up enough or whatever. But um, so I've always sort of had that, you know, interest in, hey, there's a, a new big difficult problem. You know, how could that work? How could that, how could we figure that out? Um, I do think in terms of risk taking, um, you can look at it different ways and you can separate sort of calculated risk taking from, from gambling, um, because I, I am not uh, of the gambling philosophy. I just, that just, I never really got, got into that. Um, and I think we're in a different position, you know, being in Canada, right? Where there is some sort of 
social safety net and things like that. So, you know, at the beginning I was young, I had skills from university. So I left a, a very good job, but if things didn't work out at the new company, I could go find another job, right? So yes, there was risk that I was taking, but it's a different level of risk um, than, hey, I'm, you know, gambling everything that I have for my family and putting it on black and <laughs> hope. So I, I think one thing I've learned is really just to try and understand and calculate the risk that you're taking um, and, and put it into those sort of, those sort of different buckets. So your son is now in high school and he's co-founder with you of your latest venture of which I was able to uh, Google and check it out. It's called Let's Go Fitness and it's a great site and he is all over it and you watch his journey and he seems to have such a great spirit. Um, just even just what I watched the short little videos on the site. So why don't you talk to us a little bit about um, this new venture and uh, you know, where do you hope it goes and, and, and I guess in some ways, like the joy you probably get working with your son. Yeah, so it's uh, Let's Go Fitness and uh, it's letsgo.fit. You can find it on the <laughs> website. And really where it started was right at the beginning of the pandemic. And you know, for a lot of us, this has been our most challenging year. Mm -hmm. And what ended up happening was, you know, the pandemic started, he was off school, so he was at home. And we were looking for different things to do. And we had actually a, an uncle who'd come over. This is when people could kind of still visit um, and said he was interested in starting to work out. So he wanted to borrow some weights. So we said, sure, you can borrow some weights. And my son Dante was there and we said, hey, Dante, do you want to try, you know, working out as well? So he wasn't really sure, but he took the five pound weights and he did a couple different reps there. And we said, great, you did your first workout, congratulations. And we ended up hooking him up with the uncle to maybe you can work out online with him. So Dante's, uh, the uncle um, didn't work out consistently all the time, uh, but we were uh, glad we actually had that cousin, uh, Mikhail Ziskos, who ended up working out with Dante consistently at every day. So at the beginning of the pandemic, they worked out day after day, and that ended up being 200 days in a row. And so it was just unbelievable, really just seeing the transformation. And for him, you know, the fitness transformation happened. He ended up losing 45 pounds. He changed his diet, but it was really sort of the, the mental health side and the confidence side that the transformation was more important to us. Um, his anxiety just dropped. And you can see his sort of his shoulders go back because now he had something that he was successful at and something that he was accomplished. And every week he was adding another weight, another exercise. And at that point, we sort of posted on social media and we had a lot of you know, friends in the uh, developmental disability space from the charity work. And other athletes said, hey, can I start, can I start training with Dante? And we said, sure, you can train with Dante. And then all of a sudden we had different people that he was training online. And where it really started is if you have a child with a developmental disability, you will know across the community when you finish high school, it's kind of this really scary point. Mm -hmm. Because when you're in high school, you know, you have a program, you're doing that. When you finish high school, it's like, what's next? Right. And, you know, financially, what sort of job can you or can you not get? Can you hold down? 
Um, you still have those expenses, but even more from that, just sort of that life fulfillment, you know, what's next? And there really is this drop off in the community. And a lot of people are, you know, either in a group home or staying at home, but just with nothing sort of look to look forward to and excited about. So it's, it's a really scary time for the people and for parents. And I know my wife was starting to get more and more concerned about this because he was 16 at the time. And so Dante was helping these different athletes work out online. And we always use that word and said, hey, you're just, you're helping people, you're helping people. And so one day he came to me and he said, well, dad, if, if I'm helping these people, what sort of job is that? And I said, oh, well, that's a fitness trainer. And then he said to me, is being a fitness trainer a good job? And so now I'm trying to like pull back the tears and I'm like, yeah. a fitness trainer is a great job. And he said, I think I want to be a fitness trainer. Wow. And it, it was really for me at that point when he said that in my mind, the way it works, I said to myself, okay, I think we need to start something so he can be a fitness trainer. Right. And that was really the beginning of let's go fitness. And we really, we named it that because every time when he worked out with his cousin, when they did another exercise, they would say one, two, three, let's go. So we're like, yeah, that's let's go fitness, which is really uh, the goal is to grow it into this online fitness community for people of diverse abilities and to start to create this new job pathway, um, not just for Dante, but for a number of people with developmental disabilities. Uh, that's, where we're setting out to try and do. We actually now have, um, we're working with athletes again in three or four different countries. Uh, we just started working with the school board, which was amazing. So the Halton Catholic District School Board. So congrats for them really for having the vision to you know start working with us and building this out. That was a big step. And we have a number of other of these assistant trainers or aspiring trainers uh, that we're working with or, or training other people with uh, for fitness. Um, so that's sort of the origin story. That's how we got here. And for me, it's just um, amazing to see the growth in Dante in, in terms of that leadership. Now he's training other people. He's got a path forward. And now we just want to see how many other people we can sort of bring that to. And I would imagine that there probably wasn't anything like this for that community. And so really, there's no end in sight of where you can grow this business. Yeah, that's, I mean, we're, we're excited about it. Um, we know, you know, how much hard work, I know how much hard work goes into growing these things. I've done it on the not-for-profit, on the, on the for-profit side. And there's just, it's an underserved market is what we would say, right? There's a lot of people with developmental disabilities or even other areas. Like, frankly, Dante also does training with uh, his, his grandmother, his baba, his great uncle. And then we have sort of like a seniors class. But that really goes to a lot of times our typical view of fitness is, mm -hmm. you know, the guy who's bench pressing 300 pounds, has got the six pack abs. And if you're not doing that, then you're not doing fitness versus sort of, you know, a, a healthy living sort of wherever you are and whatever your body is and really whatever accommodations you, you need to, to be active. And that's really our more of our philosophy say hey, as a community how can we actually normalize that um, and just get people active and get get people working out together so is this your full-time gig now and I you know the question is you know you've had lots of different 
jobs. You know, you mentioned working for the for-profit and nonprofit. What's, you know, is, is this the hardest job you've ever had or is this the one that gives you the most greatest reward? So I definitely, I guess one thing I've, I've learned about myself is I definitely love starting things, uh, whether it's a new company, whether it's a charity, whether it's a project, you know, take a really, really hard problem and, and figure it out. So each one of those has their sort of unique challenges. So I wouldn't, I don't know if I would say this is the hardest, um, but at the same time, it's, it's very, very difficult. There's a, a, a lot of challenges, you know, even from we have to provide a lot of accommodation modifications for the athletes. Um, so we have to get that right. Um, sometimes you could say we're working in a market where, I mean, we're not doing executive fitness where you're charging, you know, $400 for a personal training session. So we want to make it really accessible and keep our prices as, as low as possible. Um, so, and, and also, like you said, this isn't sort of a service that is typically marketed, um, mm -hmm. see this type of service out there. And so we really want to make sure that we're providing that sort of professional look and feel and service to a market that hasn't had it yet. So all of those things are, are new. All those things are, are challenging. Um, but then I guess that's part of the, the fun as well is trying to figure out all of these things um, and then seeing the benefits of the athletes starting to progress and really just seeing the confidence that they're starting to get and seeing that they say, see themselves as a new pathway that they, they just never had access to before. And that's, I guess that's why, that's why we're doing it. So where, where does this end up? Um, I don't know. I don't know. We're, uh, we're excited to, to find it out. So this past 15 months, I guess I used to just say a year, but now we're like 15, 16 months has been one that no one ex expected. And what have you learned about yourself from this past, you know, this past year and a bit? Yeah. Um, it's a good question. I think maybe one thing that I've, I've learned is probably just more of an acceptance of yourself. And I know everybody Everybody always says that and you, you hear it a lot. Um, but I think as we go through the pandemic um, and you see everybody reacting to it in a, in a bunch of different ways, um, and whether that's people that get angry, people that get depressed and anxious, um, or some people thrive in that environment uh, where they have a little bit more space and a timing. So I think... For me, one of the takeaways is really that, you know, everybody needs to do what's right for them. Um, and my other son, Denzel, he came up with the thing and he said, basically, everybody is a work in progress. Mm -hmm. And I think that is so telling. And we see that, I think, sometimes in the pandemic when we sort of got rid of all the noise and you're not doing this, you're not doing that and find out that it's okay to meet people where they are. And if someone's having a bad day, then they're just having a bad day. And we don't have to judge that. We just sort of move forward. So that's maybe one of the, one of the learnings that I've, ta I've taken from that. Um, the other thing for me, and maybe this is, I don't know if it was just specific to the pandemic, but um, more of a finally coming to a, a conclusion is around that, that I, that I do really like starting things. Um, and that, that's a good thing and that's okay. And I think sometimes we're always, everybody's always judging themselves and I should be like this or I should do that. Uh, but really just maybe to, to lean into that more. 
What's one piece of advice you wish you knew when you first graduated from Mac? So probably two things, if I could come up with it. Sure. Two different things. And the first one I alluded to a little bit before, but it was, it's become more and more and more and more and more clear to me the more I've progressed. And I guess the first piece of advice is really that you are going to fail. Like 100%, you're going to fail. And not, I think part of the thinking was, oh, if I fail, I'll do this. Or maybe I'll fail, or maybe I won't fail. I'm going to do this. It's like, no, it's, it's not going to happen. You are going to fail. So 100, just get over that worrying about failing because it is going to happen. And actually, if you're going to end up being more successful, then you're going to fail more and more and more times. Um, so everyone always gets up here, myself included. And, you know, the story sounds pretty good. And it talk about, you know, oh, I did this and it worked out and I did this and it worked out. Um, there's a ton of other stories of things that haven't worked out, um, whether it's businesses I've started or projects that I've done that just that just failed, that just didn't work. Some big, some small, starting from deleting the software on the first day of work. <laughs> and I think that really needs to get normalized because we only talk about all the good things. And I can tell you, I, I know some very, 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 very successful people and they have failed a ton and ton and ton and ton and ton. So that I cannot stress that enough. I mean, really just normalizing that. And I think the second thing for me personally is really just, um, understanding the power of that, of your personal network. And again, it's something that, you know, you read any literature and people are, will talk about it. It's mentioned, okay, I got to tick that off. Um, but I didn't, I didn't really understand that at all. I really didn't. Um, I was blessed to end up with my wife who really understands that. <laughs> and uh, she does, she goes a long way to sort of keeping our personal network together and those connections. That's something that I've constantly had to, to work at. It doesn't necessarily come naturally to me, but the benefits we've had in terms of, you know, when we launched the charity, uh, well, first, when we got the diagnosis, it was our sort of personal network that just kept us sane. When we launched the charity, the network was there. Um, when we launched business, um, whether it was the, the last one or even this one, it's our personal or professional network who got connections. Um, and I didn't, I didn't really understand that at all. And going back, I probably would have, especially playing basketball at Mac, um, I probably would have done a better job trying to nurture my network rather than, you know, there's people that I called, called up, you know, 20 years later, Hey, remember me? <laughs> I probably could have done a better job sort of keeping in touch, uh, during that time. But yeah, definitely, um, during those university years, you are meeting a ton of people, whether it's sports or just, you know, per, and, I would just say, you know, find the right way to, to keep in touch with those people. You don't have to, you know, be best friends or anything like that, but those people are going to be the people that, you know, are executives at companies in the future and coworkers and partners or people maybe that you're, you're selling into or just, you know, friends that can help you out in your, mm -hmm. your tough, tough times. So that's a, that was a huge learning for me. So what's next for you? Where do you see yourself in five years professionally? So I think the next and the immediate next is really growing Let's Go Fitness um, into, you know, the online fitness community for people of diverse abilities. 
So exactly what that looks, but you know, we want to, we're working with, you know, we got the first school board. We want to go out and start welcome, you know, multiple school boards across Canada, even the US to start working with us. We have, we're also working with some group homes. And again, we want to just go group home after group home and invite them in and individual athletes as well. We do a lot of, we have a lot of athletes that are sort of interested to get back to special, uh, special Olympics. And we want to say, Hey, we can help you train, increase your fitness, um, strength, whatever it is to get ready for whatever your, your sport is. So really growing, let's go fitness into that community. And it's, it's really less, more than just the fitness portion. We're finding a huge part of that is also the community. Mm -hmm. having fun and having friends and even for I think everybody you know fitness comes when it's valued in the community it's you know as a parent it's very difficult to say oh you know what you go ahead and work out all the time and do this but you know if, if none of your social network values fitness and people are talking about exercising and working up or just staying active then you know our children aren't going to do it mm -hmm. so outside of just the pure fitness, we really focus on building that whole community. We have a lot of athletes that are meeting new friends online um, and they're just having fun in, in the different workouts. So it's the whole social piece as well. So that's, that's the first step, just start to build that community. After that, um, who knows? I think I, I'm starting to know myself and every, was it five years or 10 years, you know, there'll be another problem that, Comes you need, by, to, fix, you um, need to fix a problem. <laughs> maybe we could help out there. Maybe we can help some people and solve that problem. So um, we'll see. But I guess that's part of the excitement. Excellent. So as we um, head to the end of the podcast, we always like to ask people a few closing questions. So the first one I'm going to ask you is your favorite memory of McMaster. <sighs> so lots of favorite memories. I, I really look back on that time as, you know, one of the best times in my life. So there's a lot of things that I could pull out. Um, probably if I was going to pull one, I don't know if it's my favorite, but it's, it's got to be up there is actually um, a basketball game that we had and we were playing at Waterloo. And the, the interesting thing about this was um, I was always very focused, you know, on doing, doing my best, playing hard, um, all those things. I, I tend to overthink things sometimes, get in my own way. And um, I had a huge computer science assignment due the day before. Um, so I literally stayed up all night, um, did not sleep, you know, got the assignment in. But what happened is when I went to the game, I just told myself, you know what, I don't really care what happens today. And that was, you know, different than my character a lot. I'm just going to let whatever happens, happens. Um, ended up being one of my best games. Um, got a triple double, uh, guarded the best player on the other team, and just everything just sort of worked. And so it was a great touch point for me going forward to look back and, you know, saying, hey, it's, it's okay to actually just let go um, and just get into the zone, go with the flow. Um, so that's definitely a huge memorable experience for me. Do you still play basketball? I do not. <laughs> so um, I've, I've transitioned. So my son, um, my, both my sons, Dante plays Special Olympics. And I've coached there and my other son um, plays actually both basketball and volleyball at sort of a provincial level. Um, so I've coached him a lot on his different rep teams and things like that. So I've, I've put the coaching hat on. Very good. So do, do we think that there's going to be another Johnson coming to McMaster maybe? Well, we'll see. I, I, 
you know, he's going to chart his own course in yep. whatever he's interested in, basketball, volleyball, you know, computer science, English, music, whatever it is. Um, and I guess similar to the conversation with, you know, Dante and Let's Go Fitness, whatever he's interested in doing, you know, I'll be uh, one step behind him, just helping him as much as I can. Oh, that's great. Uh, is there a book you're reading you'd recommend or a podcast you listen to? Um, so I think, I mean, I tend to read a lot. Um, I also find I, I read in spurts. So it'll be a time I'll read like <laughs> books constantly and then just sort of stop. Um, the, the latest book I was reading is uh, Indistractable um, by Nir E-L, N-I-R-E-Y-A-L. Um, and it's really just about different tactics to start to focus on the different things that, that you're interested in. I think that's one of the, another one of the biggest things that we start to learn is, I mean, there's so many things we can do. Um, and a lot of these things are, are literally designed to take our attention because that's, that's the revenue model for whatever company, product, app, commercial. Um, and a lot of things are, are great and they're fun, but the question is how can you sort of take a step back and say, hey, this is what's important to me, whatever it is. It, it could be spending more time with your family. That could be it. It could be running business. It could be getting in shape. But if you were to step back and prioritize your life and just say, this is what I want, then how can you put the plan in place to keep your attention focused on the things that are important for you? Um, so I think that's a huge skill and that's the, uh, the latest book I'm sort of reading. Best COVID purchase. So best COVID purchase. Uh, I'm going to go with, um, I'm going to go with my bike. And it was actually, it wasn't actually a new bike. It was a bike that I had in the garage from, I think literally 20 years ago. Um, but I just, I never, I never rode it. And, but COVID happened, everything was shut down. Um, got to find something to do. And so I got the bike tuned up. And, uh, you know, just allows me to get out there and I'm not like a super sweat bicyclist by any stretch of the imagination, but get to be a little active time to think and reflect. And so that's been a, that's been a good purchase. So yeah. what's your pers personal motto? In, in terms of personal models, um, there's, there's probably two. Um, and the first, and both come from our experience. And, and the first one is really just, choose to believe. And that's, you know, from the night that we actually had got the diagnosis and we made an active choice to believe that we could do something. And the, the key thing there is, is really that word choice. And it's not a, um, an unfounded belief. It, it's not that, you know, no, it's not saying this is the way it has to be. It's actually making an active choice to say, I'm choosing to believe that we can do this, even if I'm wrong. So that we, we chose to believe that we can make a difference for our son, even if maybe we couldn't, and we understood the risks of, of doing that. And I think if you can approach that in different things and say, hey, I'm choosing to believe, you know, in this company, I'm choosing to believe that I can get back in shape, something like that. It just, it allows you to take that first step to, to get going and then see what happens. And, and I think related to that, again, the name that we called their first walk, that one small step. And it was really about, you know, if you can make that choice, then what's one small thing that you can do? Um, and I think if you couple those two things, if you believe in something and you take that first step, then, you know, some, some pretty amazing things can happen 
And even if they don't, really understanding um, you know, what's important. And I think having a child with a rare genetic disorder and seeing some of the challenges that we've had. Um, I mean, I've been like going into business meetings, you know, in the United States and about to walk in and I get a call, you know, from the police about my son who'd run away and, you know, gotten to challenge, you know, stealing food. And it's like, those family things are important. And it's like, you know, if we get this business deal or we don't, it's like, I'd love to do it, that, but you know, life is, life is gonna go on. So make that choice to believe, take that first step, and then just really start to understand what's, what's really important to you. And our last question for you, one song that best describes your time at Mac. <laughs> uh, yeah, that's a, that's a tricky one, but you know what? I'm, I'm gonna go with, uh, I'm gonna go with the Chicago Bulls theme song the okay. intro music for the Chicago Bulls. And so, you know, part of that definitely comes from, from playing basketball and watching the Bulls at that time. Um, I guess at the same time, I might've been known to be a little bit of a procrastinator <laughs> in university. Uh, <laughs> yes, yes, there's another another problem. I got lots of problems. <laughs> and, you know, it's the type of thing, you know, if you got that assignment that you've been pushing off and then you got to get it done like tonight, and I could hear like the Chicago Bulls music going in my head. It's like, okay, it's game time. <laughs> Got to step up and get this thing done. So uh, that's that's what I'm going with. Oh, excellent. Well, Keegan, this has been really great to have a chance to see what's happened in your unconventional journey some, from your time at McMaster. And I, I remember you on the court and you were an outstanding basketball player. And, and that's, you know, it's interesting to see, you know, sport and how that's influenced you, your entrepreneurship, and then the challenge you faced in your own personal life. And uh, you are an outstanding graduate of McMaster. And I really want to thank you for spending time with us today. Oh, well, thank you very much for those, for those kind words. Uh, and I think, you know, the, my experience with McMaster was was amazing. It was awesome. It set me up. I could for you know, sports wise, you know, adversity wise, intellectually wise, you know, what I learned there in terms of computer science and physics. Um, it set me up to be successful. So uh, I'm happy to come back and chat and share whatever few things I've learned since uh, to as many people as we can. So thank you very much. Thanks, Keegan.